Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. It's from Isaiah chapter 6. It should be page 691 in your Red Bibles. And it will be from verses 1 to 9. That's Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy! Holy, holy is the Lord God, is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Hi, everyone. My name's Daniel. If I haven't met you before, um, I'm an ex really student. I just finished studying here last year. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning to preach from God's Word. Uh, well, who here loves a good Mike Bird sermon? Anyone? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was sitting here in Ridley Chapel listening to a Mike Bird sermon. I believe it was from Luke chapter 9. And he was preaching about Jesus saying that nobody who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Mike was talking about persistence in ministry and how sometimes ministry is just hard. And you might, want to, you might feel like you want to go back to your old life. Mike even specifically mentioned in that sermon that we have an amazing amount of physiotherapists here studying at Ridley College um, to leave their physiotherapy work behind and go into gospel ministry work. Mike said that there might come a day when you look back at your physiotherapy work and think to yourself, that wasn't so bad after all, because this ministry work is really hard. Now, I'm a physiotherapist, and I was sitting there in chapel that day thinking, no way, this is just another thing that I'm going to add to my list of things I disagree with Mike Bird about. That won't be me. I'm that keen to go into gospel ministry. I don't care how hard it is. Bring it on. 
Well, after finishing my Ridley studies last year, I've started working in gospel ministry in Jewish evangelism. I work with International Mission to Jewish People, or IMJP. IMJP is a reformed evangelical organization based in the UK that aims to bring the gospel message to Jewish people all over the world. And I can tell you, it's really hard work. When I was sitting in that Mike Bird sermon a few years ago, I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was talking about because you know what? Mike Bird was right. Ministry work isn't, it's just really hard. To the point where a few months ago, I got to the stage where I was just thinking most days, how long until I quit? How long until I just give up? Just going back to being a full-time physio seemed like a pretty appealing option. Most of you are here today uh, studying at Ridley College because you've been called to go into gospel ministry. You've been called to go to work with the Anglican Church or you've been called to work in other churches. You've been called to work with AFES or you've been called to work with other parachurch ministries. And how you think about that call to ministry matters a lot when it comes to persevering in gospel ministry. It matters. So what motivates you in gospel ministry? What's going to keep you motivated as you go into gospel ministry? Well, let me suggest that it's the glory of the Lord that calls forgiven sinners into God's mission. That's exactly what we see here in Isaiah 6 with Isaiah's calling as a prophet. Isaiah needed solid grounding in his calling, especially if you consider the circumstances of Isaiah's ministry. And that's what he's getting here in Isaiah 6. So we're going to see that the glory of the Lord motivates forgiven sinners to God's mission. And in the year King Uzziah died, king of Judah, Isaiah gets this vision of God's glory. Now, this is the first time signature that Isaiah ascribes to his writings. Uzziah died in the year 740 BC, roughly 20 years before the Assyrians succeeded in taking away the northern kingdom of Israel. So Assyria is looming on the horizon here. There's a lot of pressure. And what do you need in moments like that? You need security. You need stability. Hence this vision here. And you see in verse 2 there, have a look at verse 2, Isaiah sees, he sees the seraphim. So seraph in Hebrew is to burn. So these seraphim are the burning ones, which Isaiah will recognize as a symbol for the presence, for, for God's presence. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, remember? So remember the pillar of fire in Exodus. And they say, Kadosh, 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 or holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth. Now you should be encouraged in your calling to ministry that people all around us are seeking for glory, aren't they? People in Melbourne, in fact, in every ministry context we go into, are looking for glory. You see it all over the place. You see this search for glory. In Melbourne, the most obvious example right now, particularly in September, is football glory, isn't it? The word glory gets thrown around a lot in AFL football, doesn't it? Can't you just hear BT calling a Collingwood match right now? That was a glorious goal. Wowie. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, Greg, do you mind just putting the um, picture up? Uh, this is Jamie Cooper. He's a Melbourne-based artist and former AFL player. 
This is his painting titled Premiership Glory. This is of the Richmond Footy Club's 2017 Premiership. See, we've got one Richmond fan in the house. Fantastic. My, my wife Anna's a big Tigers fan. Um, Richmond hadn't won a Premiership for 37 years. Uh, their glorious moment came in 2017. And the word glory was certainly thrown around a lot to describe Richmond that year. But is that the kind of glory that we need? It's certainly the kind of glory that a lot of footy fans are looking for. Thanks, Craig, you can take that down. This was the case for my Uncle Chris. Uh, Uncle Chris, um, he is from Terralgan in Gippsland. He rides a motorbike, he's got a bunch of awesome tats, and he's the most diehard Richmond supporter you'll come across. And after that Richmond grand final win in 2017, I asked him about it and what he thought about it. And do you know what he said afterwards? He said to me, means nothing if they can't back it up again next year. <laughs> See, he, he wanted more. And doesn't that tell you a story though? It tells you that we're all looking for glory, but people need something bigger. People need more glory than the kind of glory that fills the MCG. People need the glory that fills the whole earth. Now, when John is describing Jesus in his gospel, he says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And when Jesus sends his disciples out into the whole earth and promises to be with them wherever they would go, that's a mission to fill the whole earth with the glory of Jesus. So this is what I'm saying. The glory of the Lord calls you to God's mission, and that should be encouraging to you because even if people don't know it, you're responding to the call of what everybody is actually searching for. Everyone's searching for glory. God's glory is going to fill the, earth, the whole earth, just like in Isaiah's vision. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And in your calling to gospel ministry, you're taking the, that glory to the ends of the earth because you're taking the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Jesus, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. So it's God's glory that calls you. It's God's glory that people are actually searching for. But we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. And the problem is that in our individualistic society, and let's be honest, this has become a part of the church as well, we're all told to look inwards for what we're looking for. Be true to yourself, you do you, etc. This way of thinking is sometimes called expressive individualism. I saw this picture, Greg, uh, just at a bus stop at Sydney Road just yesterday. My thing is a self-expression thing. It's pretty common, isn't it? But people can't look inwards to find this glory because when we're honest with ourselves, we just don't find glory within. So Brian Rosner says in his book, How to Find Yourself, a key driver of expressive individualism is the desire to live more authentic lives. This is the kind of thinking where holiness is replaced with being authentic. Everyone wants to be authentic. And one of the problems with that way of living is that when we're honest with ourselves, we're not purely authentic. We're not holy, are we? It's impossible. This is why Isaiah is spot on when he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For, for, that's a key clause there in Hebrew, preparing us for why he's saying this. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
See, Isaiah knows the score. He's saying that the very thing he's known for, his lips, the part of his body that produces all of these amazing prophetic words, Isaiah is saying they're in the same category, his lips are in the same category as someone who has just touched a dead body, as someone who's just come into contact with unclean blood. Levitically speaking, Isaiah is saying that the very best part of him is filthy rags compared to the vision of the glory of the Lord that he's just seen. And that's a big problem for Isaiah and it's a big problem for you and I. And I think the insecurities of our post-Christian Western culture reveal the same thing. Our secular neighbours don't look to Christ, but the post-Christian West is still in some sense looking for a saviour. And that's not just me saying this or other Christians saying this, that people all around still are looking for a saviour. Take John Carroll, for example. Um, John Carroll, sociologist at La Trobe University, just this year released his new book called The Saviour Syndrome, Searching for Hope and Meaning in an Age of Unbelief. And this is what John Carroll says. Christ the Saviour is no more. Gone is the Redeemer who for 2,000 years forgave sin, made ordinary lives meaningful and brought joy. But to fill this void of a Saviour, people are still looking for a Saviour in other places. People look in politicians for it. People look in sports stars all the time. How many times do we hear of a football or soccer star being recruited to a new club being referred to as the coming Messiah? And so John Carroll says, that people still have this saviour syndrome. We may be post-Christian in the West, but we're still looking for a saviour. And Isaiah knows his need for a saviour all too well, doesn't he? You see there in verse 5, he says of himself that he is ruined, he's come undone. And at this point, I would suggest that you and I need to reflect on this about your own view of yourself. Do you really believe that you need saving? Or are we reliant on our own strength in our call to ministry? After all, you're at Bible college, you're learning Greek and Hebrew and theology stuff. Some of you might be even getting good grades, so you must be especially prepared and suited to go into gospel ministry. Well, I've been personally reflecting on this a lot in recent times in my own call to ministry. Do I want to be like the naive Daniel Zoynett sitting in a Mike Bird sermon a few years ago, full of misplaced self-confidence? In terms of God's calling to mission, I think I'm better placed as the Daniel Zoynett of more recent times that is undone in the presence of the Holy God. And the reason that doesn't totally crush me is because of what happens next. Verse 6. Seraphim are coming to Isaiah with a burning coal from the altar. Hold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. You can't miss what's happening here in the context of Isaiah's calling to mission. He recognises his need for a saviour. He's got the saviour syndrome, if you will. And how does that saving come to him? It comes to him wholly outside of himself. The sacrifice has been made on the altar 
the atonement's been brought near to him by someone else. Even the, the word there for atonement, kafar, it's in the pu'al stem, which means it's a totally passive verb. Isaiah can't atone for himself. He hasn't done anything. It's done entirely outside of himself. Now, this is a glimpse here we're getting of the substitutionary atonement that Isaiah is going to present later on in his book when Isaiah speaks about the one who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. It's also a glimpse of the atonement that the Apostle Peter is going to talk about in his epistle when he reflects back on the prophet Isaiah and he says that Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's also a glimpse of the next time we hear holy, holy, holy. And the next time we hear holy, 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 it's in the heavenly throne room again. And at the center of that heavenly throne room is the lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain is worthy because he was slain. By his blood, he purchased a people for God. So you can't miss it. Isaiah's sin is atoned for through substitution. And this is the basis of his newfound confidence. And what does he do with his newfound confidence? Everyone knows Isaiah's famous, here I am, send me. It's a catch cry for mobilizing volunteers in churches, isn't it? Here I am, send me. We need more people to serve on the welcoming roster. Here I am, send me. We need more people to serve on creche. I am. And in effect, this is what you've said as well in your calling to gospel ministry. Here I am, send me. But you can't get to verse 8 without going through verses 5 to 7. Or as Tim Keller says, you can't get to send me without woe is me. Verse 5, acknowledge your need before God. Verse 7, accept his gracious atonement. Then, then respond to God's call to ministry by saying, here I am, send me. Be rock solid on this foundation of your calling to ministry because, friends, ministry is really hard work. Take Isaiah's call here, for example. After verse 8, Isaiah would have been on a spiritual high. But then comes the mission briefing. And he's told to go say to the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. After stepping up to the plate with his here I am, send me, he's now dished up a pretty hard task. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Uh, who enjoys the Chronicles of Narnia here? Yeah, okay, I thought so. Uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, in the third book, The Horse and His Boy, the main character, Shasta, has just shown some incredible bravery in going back to help his companion Aravis against a lion attack. He's gone to help against uh, an attack from a lion on Aravis. And after this display of bravery, Shasta is chosen to be the one who has to go ahead of the group to Arkhamland to warn King Loon that Rabidash and his army are coming to attack them. And Shasta's not very uh, pleased with this. He'd, he's done his bravery, he's done his dash, he'd rather stay back with his friends. He's a bit upset that he has, he's the one chosen to go on to send the message. And at this point, uh, C.S. Lewis inserts a little bit of wisdom into the book, as he does with all these uh, Narnia Chronicles. Lewis says that 
Shasta had not yet learned that if you do one good deed, your reward is usually to be set to do another and a harder and a better one. If you're called into ministry, into gospel ministry, be prepared because putting up your hand is one thing, but gospel ministry is a harder and a better task. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. We are humbled that you would call sinners like us into your mission. Remind us of your grace, we ask. Make us holy, we pray. For Christ's sake. Amen.